Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello out there, and, and happy March, everybody. It is, it is officially March 1st. It took us an extra day to get there this year. Uh, but, but you can, you know, obviously the tournament doesn't start for another couple of weeks, but, but we are officially in March madness now. Uh, and, and Michael, it, it seemed like the, the madness maybe started a day early on, on leap day yesterday. Uh, frankly, the Baylor loss was stunning to me. I don't know if, a, you know, when you look at a, a Florida State, being, um, you know, a top five or six team goes on the road. Maybe it seems like a stunning upset. But we talked uh, in the preview that Clemson was a team who had grown a lot from from November. They had gotten some guys healthy. While we both did predict a Florida State win, we talked about this is the team that has beaten Duke, Louisville at home, and and now Florida State. Uh, so as we open up this uh, Tomahawk Nation Hoops dedicated podcast here on a March 1st, what, uh, I don't know, what, what stood out? Was, there, was this a surprise to you that Florida State went in and wasn't able to get it done on the road against Clemson, losing that, that heartbreaker at the last second, 70-69? Yeah, I mean, we were, fa- we were favored by three, so it's not, you know, nothing. There, there's no surprise losing that game. Uh, I, I did feel that we executed the game plan pretty well. You know, we had, t- we had talked in the previous pod about you can't, you can't overhelp against Clemson and you, ha- you have to be able to take away their threes and, and Florida State did a pretty good job of that. I think only about 35% or something of their shots were from three compared to over 50 the first time around. Um, offensively, you know, Florida State did a lot of good things except for, except for the turnovers and, and five of those uh, five charges. 
Um, but Clemson, you know, they really took advantage of Florida State in the paint. I mean, Clemson just got to the line over and over and over and over again. I mean, to the, to the rim over and over and over again. And, you know, Florida State really didn't have an answer. So uh, Clemson shot um, – so they, they're 32% from deep on the year. They're heavily relying on the three ball. It, when they shoot below 32% from deep, here's the list of teams that they have beaten for the season. That would be Jacksonville, Colgate, and Florida State. And that's it. Um, so Florida State, uh, you know, did the job of taking away the threes, but the, the, the defense on the twos was just really bad. And um, Florida State tried a, <laughs> a couple different things, but really didn't. Um, you know, this this kind of felt like a repeat of the Virginia loss earlier in the season where we just saw, you know, one team doing the same thing over and over and over again for the whole game. Um, and then we came up on the short end. Yeah, it I, I will fully admit I was uh, I, I was during the game itself. I had a, a, a another a work event that had me uh, had me engaged all day Saturday. And so I, I didn't catch it live. And so but I, I have rewatched it uh, and, and also a condensed version. And the, you know, it's always different when you're, you're watching something already knowing the outcome, but when you watch the condensed version, it's really interesting. It takes away all the, the charges, which, which we have, you know, take it. This is not a Florida state thing. We have ranted on this podcast multiple times. That call has become bastardized. There is no way in which defenses anywhere in college basketball should be getting rewarded for sliding in and fall, essentially just falling down. You're, you're, you're increasing the odds that people get injured. People are on the, on the ground. Uh, they're, they're diving into folks. Legs are flying everywhere. There's just no reason why any referee should be calling five or six charges in a game. You, you stop calling them and defenders will stop falling down and flopping. That's how you get rid of flopping. You don't create some weird, uh, you know, maybe we'll look at it and issue a warning or a tech flopping rule. No, you just stop rewarding teams with charges. Um, and again, that's not a Florida state thing. That is a college basketball thing. You watch NBA games and they do not have this problem. So anyways, rant, rant aside, when, when you watch a condensed game, it takes out all of the fouls and a lot of the free throws, unless they were big missed ones or made ones. And so it was just interesting to see, you're basically seeing scoring plays and good defensive plays and, and Clemson's scoring plays were repeatedly at the rim. Like it just becomes very obvious on the condensed watch condensed watch that it's just, wow, you know, over and over again at the rim and whether it's in transition at the rim, whether it's coming off of, uh, you know, just breaking guys down one-on-one off of back screens, just repeatedly at the rim. It kind of felt like, like a Chris Kamaji loss. Like maybe we'll call this like the, we didn't have Chris Kamaji on the team. Uh, and, and that was what the last four years had enabled Florida State to not have a game like this. But what, so watching, admitting I didn't watch it live, were you surprised that like a Bolsa only played four minutes or that maybe we didn't switch to shrinking the court a little bit and pack, pack I know we didn't want to give up open threes, but pack it in a little. Malik Osborne only played 14 minutes. Uh, were there some – it just seems like maybe there were some things we could have tried other than watch Clemson repeatedly beat us off the dribble and get to the rim. Yeah. When Dom came in in the first half, it was pretty clear that Clemson 
that's the guy that Clemson was going to attack. Um, they still only scored, I think, 15 points in the 14 possessions that he was on the floor. So it's not like they were scoring at a significantly higher rate when our bigs were on the floor than when they weren't. Um, he played four minutes in the second half, and I don't think Balsa saw the court. Uh, the Osborne thing's a little weird. I mean, he he came out of the game with 17 with over 17 minutes to play and did not get back in the game until there was about five minutes left to play. So that was, that was a long stretch that Osborne um, sat on the bench, which I don't really get. I mean, he had, what do you have, eight rebounds or something? Yeah, I mean, um, he's he, he's one of our better defensive rebounds, rebounders. And, and he also is, I mean, I'm not going to say he's an above-the-rim player, but he, he certainly can, he's comfortable playing down there. He he can step out and make threes. I'm a little confused. I, I'm a little confused at his, his lack of playing time in the second half, for sure. Now, to be fair, maybe he could have said, like, hey, he's cramping up or had, had a, you know, tweaked an ankle or something. Like, there could be something that we don't know about. He could be sick. But the 14 minutes for him stands out. Yeah, and Trent also only played 22 minutes. And I know that in the previous pod, I, I, I mentioned that I wanted Trent in the 20s, but I want, wanted him in the, in the 20s in a win. You know, I, I didn't want him in the play 22, <laughs> play 22 minutes in a game where we really needed him. Um, again, the two foul participation thing cropped up. He sat the final eight minutes and 24 seconds of the first half. MJ Walker sat the final seven and a half minutes of the first half. And we played the final over four minutes without a point guard on the floor. It was a little, it was a little weird. The, the weird thing about that stretch is that Florida State actually played pretty well. You know, we had a couple of scoring droughts, but no big deal. Um, doesn't necessarily make it mean it's the right decision. But the, the, the problem that I had with the, with the two foul thing, and that only led to Trent playing 22 minutes, is that we have the ball with 17 seconds left coming out of a timeout. So we had plenty of time to put whoever we wanted on the floor. It's the final possession of the first half. Um, there's basically no risk that your player is going to pick up, pick up a foul. And even if he does, it's not a big deal. So in that final possession, uh, Trent stays on the bench. MJ Walker stays on the bench. Raekwon Evans stays on the bench for some reason. And we run the final possession without a point guard. We end up with Raekwon Gray shooting a three-pointer, um, which, e- which easily could have been, you know, MJ Walker. So we've got a 20%. Our final possession in the first half is a 20% three-point shooter jacking up, jacking up a three. And, you know, it turns out that our star players are sitting on the bench because of this weird foul thing that, that Ham has. And maybe scoring in that possession might have ended up being kind of a big deal in this game. Um, so again, I'm I'm not happy with the way that Ham uh, manages players with in, in quote unquote foul trouble. Uh, MJ, by the way, finished the game with two fouls. Trent Forrest finished the game with three fouls. So even had they picked up some you know weird offensive foul in the final 17 seconds. Uh, you know, it it wouldn't have been a big deal. So, so that the roster management in this game was a little um, unusual, and I don't, I don't quite get it. Yeah, yeah, because because you're right. If you're gonna pick, what's the difference between picking up a foul with 20 seconds to go in the first half or opening stretches of the second half? Right. Realistically, there's 20 minutes and some change left in the game, and and you know, it's not like we're not rolling out players with two fouls to play at this to open the second half. So where where is the difference there? Uh, and yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to maybe have one more scoring possession. Uh, you know, and look, Florida State still 
through all that, Florida State took a took a fifty four to forty nine lead there on on the back of a, a three by uh, by Devin Vassell, and I, be, I believe that was the moment. The, the next possession was it uh, Gray that hits Patrick Williams on a, on a really nice find uh, to to get into to an easy dunk, and then Raquan Evans, ha, as he has been demonstrating, is seems pretty comfortable when he when he goes baseline uh, right right when he's able to get to his right hand dribble and. And and so moving from right to left, going baseline, uh, he's he's pretty pretty good there at either getting the layup, drawing a foul, or both. So it felt like Florida State had maybe kind of taken back some control of the game, and then and then again they just could not prevent Clemson from from getting to the rim. And and so what was it? I think the fi- out of the final eight possessions, Florida State quote unquote stopped Clemson once and that stop was two missed free throws that then led to that weird inadvertent whistle that took away a dunk that probably would have allowed Florida State to set up a different defense. But it just like you said, it's just frustrating, I think, to watch a defense continually get beat by an offense that's doing largely the same thing over and over, which leads us to the very last possession of the game where you know, I'm going to be honest, I've rewatched that play probably 10 times. Trent Forrest does a pretty good job of stopping ball there. He, he forces the, the Clemson, who, who was it? Was it, uh, was it Newman? Is that who made the final uh, shot? Uh, Alamir Dawes. Oh, it's Dawes. Yeah, sorry. So Dawes, Dawes. Yeah, Dawes, yeah. So he forces Dawes to get kind of kind of locked up there in the paint for a second. He, he is over, frankly, would be considered over dribbling if this was a normal possession. He you know, so we've sort of kind of stopped ball there and you've got Raekwon Gray, who's like kind of drifting between, do I, do I want to go out and cover the kick out, which, you know, maybe you're only down one or up one. So probably aren't too worried about a three, but it's the last play. You never know. Or do you go and contest at the rim? He kind of does neither, right? Patrick Williams is boxing out. He's preventing the tip in uh, Forrest forces Dawes to make a really difficult layup and Gray just sort of watches the whole thing unfold and, and doesn't, doesn't really do anything. And I know you don't want to pick up a foul there, but you gotta, you can't just let the guy go right at the rim. I mean, I feel like that's just a, a, a mistake there at the end by, by Gray in a scramble situation. Yeah. I, th- I think it's just, it's probably just game confusion. So you know, Florida State was focusing the whole game on taking away threes. And, right. you know, his initial reaction was maybe to take away three, and then, then he right. thought about it a little more and, and just kind of drifted and just got, got lost. You know, that, in that situation, it doesn't matter, two or three, both of them beat you. Um, so so you've got to do something, and the first rule is somebody's got to stop the ball. And Trent, you know, Trent was playing good defense, but the guy still got to the, you know, still got to the lane, and he clearly needed some help, and he didn't get it. Uh, it was super frustrating prior to that. You know, the eight minutes of real lifetime, you, you, you wouldn't have seen it in the, uh, in the uh, condensed version of the game, or at least I hope they wouldn't make you sit through that. But it was eight minutes for the refs to decide it was an inadvertent whistle. I mean, you, you're, you're the guy who blew the whistle. Why do you need to – and then they go and they stare at the monitor. Like the monitor is going to tell them something about why he blew the whistle. He, did, he right. blows a whistle, and then you, all you do is you say, oh, sorry, guys, I, I screwed up. That was inadvertent. Let's keep going, even though you take away the dunk from Florida State. Um, 
And so in that eight minutes, Clemson gets to talk about every scenario in the world. And Florida State does too. I mean, both, both teams get a lot of time to sit there and talk about it. But had that not happened, you know, Florida State gets the dunk and then Clemson's immediately going to call timeout to try to drop their final play. And Florida State will get to set their defense. So we don't have guys like Raekwon Gray just kind of kind of drifting around. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating that even when the refs screw up it takes them eight minutes of real life time to finally admit you know that they screwed up and just dude you blew the whistle just make a call you know it's not this this whole going to the monitor and the final two minutes thing is is really bad and it's got to get fixed you can't have the final two minutes of a game taking like 15 minutes of of real life time and and the, the ncaa absolutely has to get this shit fixed and i don't i don't think they're gonna do it i've talked about it before i'm i'm tired of talking about it and i'm sure people are tired of hearing about it but you know it, it is frustrating and then to have to sit through all of that and then have clemson you know win on a buzzer beater it's just like just very sour taste in my mouth after that game yeah and and so that was uh i believe clarence armstrong on the inadvertent whistle i know it was clarence on the on the charges and and let me I'm looking here that yeah so clarence also uh also refed the the pit game that florida state had a, a couple weeks ago and then as well as the wake game that that wake shot <laughs> i mean we won the game but wake wake shot a whole bunch of free throws um, and, and he, by the way, was on the call for the Wake Duke upset a few, a few days ago where, where it seemed like Wake went to the line. I mean, how, how do you, how do you win by 12 in double OT? Um, anyways, it, it's, it's an interesting, if you go and look at his, his, the games that he's called, it's an, it's certainly an interesting batch of games. He, he's a guy that I, I actually would hope that you're right. Nothing's going to get done at the NCAA level. The ACC could certainly decide who they're going to uh, contract out with on a, you know, like for an individual game by game basis. They, they certainly can decide that. And, you know, maybe that's somebody who I, I'd like to see not ref as many ACC games at, at the end of the day, though, Florida state's gotta, gotta do better on defense. And, and I think that's what I left feeling again on the re, on both the condensed watch and the rewatch. It's just, you gotta play better better defense and we've we've talked all season that this is a boomer bust defense we kind of generate a lot of turnovers get a lot of block shots but also give up a lot of dribble drive it seemed like they had been able to figure some of that out but but this game was was not good we, we actually scored more than a point per possession which is something that um that louisville cannot say when they went to little john it's something that duke cannot say when they went to little john so florida state offensively despite the charges got the job mostly done um but the the defense was poor and, and particularly down the stretch so it, it didn't feel like a let game though a letdown game we, we certainly from what i could tell came out looked focused led by 10 early in the second half it just seemed like a game where quite honestly the defensive execution wasn't where it needs it to be there was a lot of folks after the game that you know sort of feeling like great this was it we blew our shot at the acc uh regular season championship if you believe in such a thing but uh as as fate would have it and as a lot of people have been projecting for a while including us on this podcast uh duke promptly went up to charlottesville and lost to to virginia uh so what what is it does, does it it doesn't really change that much, right, uh, for, for what Florida State needs to do for the ACC title. I mean, we've been saying for a while if there's a three-way tie, 
Florida State wins that tie breaker. And if, if Florida State wins its remaining two games, uh, Duke is no longer able to be tied with Florida State. Florida State would win a tiebreaker with Louisville because of their sweep. And uh, Louisville still has to travel to a very good Charlotte's, uh, a very good Virginia team up in Charlottesville so they could easily pick up another loss. So it seems like not much has changed. Is that about right as far as the ACC race goes? Yeah, we're tied with Louisville, you know, and, and so we would share the regular season title, quote title with them, and, and we'd have the one seed in, in, the, in the ACC tournament. Uh, though the, the, I think the change is that Virginia is suddenly in it. You know, Virginia has been playing really well. They've won, um, I think, six in a row in like nine of their last ten. Um, so so they, they're coming on strong. And, you know, but by the end of this thing, they, they could very well, you know, have, have their share of the um, regular season title and end up being the one seed in the ACC tournament. So yeah, it's, it's, crazy, it's really – It's crazy that a team that started four and four in the ACC could actually there, – there is, folks, a four-way tie scenario where UVA could end up the one seed. It's, it requires a certain number of events to take place, specific events, and so maybe we'll address that more on our next pod when, when a few more games have been played. But that is possible. So, Michael, is – We've talked all year about the three team, the kind of the, the three-headed monster up at the top of the ACC, Duke, UL, uh, and Florida State. Is it really now a big four? I mean, has Virginia elevated itself up into the conversation to where it's four teams at the top of the ACC? It feels like it, and it feels like it because Duke, Florida State, and Louisville, neither of them have, have kind of seized this thing. Like, those three teams have all just been kind of you know, dropping games here and there. And and all three of them have had a chance to kind of step up and, and win this thing. And none of them have done it. And meanwhile, Virginia's just been laying in the weeds and has picked up a, a, a few big wins that have allowed them, you know, right back in this thing. Um, so, yeah, they were out of it for, for a long time. And now all of a sudden it's like they, they could win it. Well, I think what's most surprising to me is that Duke didn't seize seize the moment. We, we've talked before about the unbalanced schedule, but let me hit you with hit you with something here. I, I was digging around here. So, looking at the conference stre- uh, strength of schedule played to date, so there's about two games remaining for all of these teams, right? Uh, Duke Duke still has the easiest strength of schedule. It's been that way for a while, and, and their remaining opponents are an you know a mediocre NC State team and the and the worst record in the conference North Carolina team. So their their strength of schedule probably is not going to go up. Uh, Louisville has the next easiest at the at the twelfth hardest schedule in the league. Virginia is next at ninth, and Florida State's at seventh. Again, that's only looking at who teams have already played. Here's the thing, though. Duke's schedule is the difference between Duke's, which is the 15th hardest in the league, the, the easiest schedule so far in the league. The, on the advanced metrics, the difference between Duke's schedule and the next easiest, so the 14th hardest in the league, which happens to be uh, Syracuse, is the same. That gap between 15 and 14 is the same as the gap between 14 uh, and 9. So, so Duke's schedule is markedly easier than even the next bet easiest schedule uh, so far. Uh, there, there's, there's a bunch of teams there that are sort of in that 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th hardest schedule. And then you got Duke's way down at the bottom. So for them not to have seized the moment, I feel like that's a bit surprising to me. They're, 
they don't even seem to be a it would be a stretch for them to even come out with a way where they're the the one seed even if they did tie uh, for the lead they 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 do have a path to the one seed but it's probably less likely than virginia's path back to virginia They've really come on, though. I know we were talking a little bit off air that kind of since that Florida State game where they beat Florida State in Charlottesville, they've they've really made uh, made a move up. Uh, Ken Palm has, you know, overall. We well, let me take a step back. Can you explain peop, uh, a little bit? There's the Ken Palm rankings and the Bart Torvik rankings, which are two similar sets of advanced metrics. Could you maybe give like a thirty second overview of the difference? Sure, Ken Palm, we talk about all the time. He's been around since, you know, for 18 years or something and is the recognized expert in this in this thing. And then T-Rank is the free version of Ken Palm, is one way to refer to it. And, and so uh, it's based very closely in what Ken Palm is doing and in, in, in calculating these things. Um, they just have slightly different ways to tweak their formulas. Um, and so you get a little bit of different results, but they're, they're very similar overall. Yeah. And, and one of the things that the T-Rank website allows you to do is to actually manipulate the dates by which you start their ranks. So uh, whereas Ken Palm, you kind of get an overall and you can certainly double click on individual games and look at what teams have done against types of opponents. But it still looks like the, their actual overall ranking looks at the whole season. The T-Rank one. Uh, which is barttorvik.com, T-O-R-V-I-K. It does allow you to look at the whole season, but it also allows you to start from any date you want. So if you just wanted to look at a certain segment of games. So what's interesting is that on Kempom overall, Virginia is still the 46th best team. So you've got Duke, Louisville, and, and Florida State all up there in the top 15 to 17 and then there's a huge jump to Virginia, who's next in the ACC at 46. They're actually closer to NC State and Syracuse there in the mid-50s than they are up to the top teams. But uh, and, and T-Rank has them similar. I think T-Rank has them maybe in the low, like 41st or so on the season. There is a noticeable jump uh, a lot when you factor in since the January 27th game against Florida State. Basically, a lot of that is still Virginia – having some putrid offensive performances earlier in the season. When you look at just since January 27th, Virginia ranks 26th in the countries, not the mid forties, but the mid twenties. They're actually, so Louisville actually is 27th in the country on the T rank since uh, January 27th. Duke is 28th and Florida state is 23rd. So all four of the ACC teams are right there bunched together Florida State's been slightly better than the other three since January 27th, uh, but Virginia has actually been better than Louisville and Duke since then. And and when you look at their record over that time, an eight and one record over that time, uh, they they if you compare that to what the average bubble team would have done, which T Rank allows you to do, that that's actually about three wins more than what the average bubble team would have done. So they are, while they may still be a, a bubble or probably now on the, you know, safely in the tournament, probably eight or nine seed in the tournament, they're certainly not playing like a bubble team or an eight or nine seed. The last, you know, the last month and maybe a, maybe the last five weeks, Virginia has been playing much more uh, like a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe a four seed than they have, uh, than they have anything else. So interesting stuff there. Um, 
UVA certainly is is surging. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, and then I think Michael will come back and and look at the Notre Dame game, which for Florida State is now huge, as uh, you know, coming off a loss, and and then from there we'll also look at a few other games around the country of note. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are we are back. Uh, if you missed the first part of it, we co- we kind of covered the the Clemson heartbreaking loss there, and had another ref rant, uh, which sucks. I wish we could stop doing that, but unfortunately, it continues to be bothersome. We also took a look at just what that meant for the ACC regular season race, and and UVA surging in to perhaps perhaps create a Big Four instead of a Big Three. Let Let's turn the page now to the game that's coming up Wednesday against Notre Dame and, and Michael the first time we saw Notre Dame you know Florida State jumped out to a huge lead only to watch uh, Notre Dame really shoot their way back into it and and this was a, a Florida State team that was playing without Patrick Williams I believe but uh, the Notre Dame really clawed, clawed all the way back and, and it was a one-point win in the Tucker Center for Florida State back then on let's see January 25th it was an 85 to 84 point win what's changed since then maybe for both these teams yeah so for uh notre dame i remember that they also they shot a uh, crazy number of free throws in that game it's probably like the second most they've they've they shot 22 all season. 27 for a team that yeah. doesn't so they shot a lot and actually made more uh, than their yeah. st- typical as well yeah all right so we got we got to hope for some different refs but so the uh since then, they've they have gone seven and three, and it looks like it looked like they were playing really well. The losses that they they had in that stretch were at Virginia and at Duke. The Virginia game was in overtime, um, but then yesterday they went and lost to Wake Forest, which is not which is not good basketball. So they uh, they've been playing you know better, but they're still vulnerable. They are uh, like Clemson, you know. They're they're another team that 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 takes a ton of threes. They're I, th- I think uh, what 29th in the country in taking the most threes. Um, unlike Clemson, they're a better shooting team. Um, you know, not a great shooting team, but but better. Uh, and uh, like all Notre Dame te- Notre Dame teams, you know, they're they're vulnerable to. Um, uh, you know their defense is vulnerable. They're just, they're just never going to be a great defensive team by the because of who uh, Mike Bray recruits and the in the way he coaches. Yeah, if if you recall back to the first game, this was sort of the Wyatt Wilkes game where he went uh, five for six from three and and actually was the Ken Palm MVP. And and again, Florida State did lead by by double digits there at at halftime, and it looked to be kind of like you said. They, it didn't seem like Notre Dame had a way of stopping uh, Florida State. The, the, there were, it was 75 to 61 with 729 left in the game. So uh, what's interesting though is that that actually came after uh, Notre Dame had led 15 to four early in the game. So so sort of big runs by both teams and and Notre Dame finished on that big run. 
like largely at the free throw line. Do you think Patrick Williams will make a di- we We've seen Patrick Williams sort of just be a better athlete than everybody else on the court in some games. Notre Dame, as you just mentioned, doesn't really recruit a whole lot of athletes. They've got the double-double machine, John Mooney, but he's not an over-the-rim player. He didn't play in the first game. He was hurt. Is that going to be something that can have an impact for Florida State, for having someone like him to just go make a play above the rim? Yeah, Pat's a Pat's a problem, especially for a team like Notre Dame. And and so if 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 the refs are allowing him to be physical down low, especially like on offensive rebounds and stuff, then then he has the ability to uh, you know to to, to to impact the game. Um, and then he's he's also been uh, shooting a, a little better. He was I know he didn't play in that first Notre Dame game, but that's also when he was in the stretch of like you know missing twelve or fourteen or something straight threes. Uh, you know, now he's, he's, uh, you know, making, making a few more threes. So he's a little more of a threat from the perimeter. So Notre Dame is, is, is definitely <laughs> going to have to focus a little bit of their game plan on him. And then, uh, you know, for, for the other, the, the, the other players on Florida state, it's, it's really going to come down to Trent, which, you know, thank goodness he only played 22 minutes against Clemson. He should be, should be ready to go at Notre Dame. Um, Florida State turned the ball over like on 24% of their possessions or something in that earlier game, which which was a one-point win, you know, so that's a lot of possessions were thrown away in, in, a, in a very close game. So Florida State really needs Trent to, to play well, um, probably Raquan Evans as well. And, and, you know, let's not have a ton of charges in this one. Let's, let's uh, you know, take care of the ball. And, you know, if Florida State does that, then you, then you got to like their chances. But, you know, unfortunately, they've, <laughs> they've been a little uh, lax with the uh, ball control of late. So uh, we would really like to see that end in this game. Yeah, it, it's weird. The ball control has been, you know, so we're, we're 209th in the country at turnovers, which, which is not good, right? There's 353 teams. I don't think you want to be below in the bottom half of, of anything like that. So it's not good. It's about 19% of our possessions. In uh, if you look at just conference play, it's probably been a bit worse. It's it's 13th in the conference and nearly 20% of the possessions, just under 20%. Here's the interesting thing, though, and it goes right back to what you just said. When you when you factor out steals uh, from those tournaments, so so plays in which the ball was either intercepted or or just stolen from FSU. That's where the turnovers really, really show themselves. I mean, that's where we go from a, from a team that has been a little bit sloppy with the ball to a team that looks horrifically sloppy. In the country on the season, we're 310th uh, in the nation at non-steal turnover percentage at, at over 11%. In the conference, we are dead last, 15th, uh, at, at about 12% of our possessions. Uh, in ending in non steel turnovers, which, which, you know, sure. Some of that could be traveling. Some of that could be a pass going out of bounds, but a lot of that is charges, right? I mean, a charge is a turnover. We saw five of them against Clemson or six, maybe. How can a team, does, does it feel like a team starts to get a reputation as like, Oh, well you guys charge. And that's something that the ref's looking for. Is it certain guys like maybe Gray or, or Forrest who have just been out of control? I know in the Clemson game, it didn't feel like a lot of them actually were charges. 
it seems frustrating that that's a, that's something that is largely a judgment call that continues to to just hamper FSU's offense and and really weigh them down in terms of their execution. Uh, any thoughts there on what Florida State can do to have fewer charges? Yeah, Gray is is does get a little out of control sometimes. So I mean, a lot of the charges that he commits are. Are, are legit charges, um, the, but the players also have to recognize that the refs are terrible, and and so when there is, uh, you know, any potential for for contact, you know, you're going to get charges called on you. And so I, th- I think, you know, the coaches, you know, you you have it's it's a really weird line for them to try to walk because you're trying to teach your guys to be aggressive. You want them, you know, to be going to the rim, especially with this team. I mean, you want you want shots at the rim and you want open threes and to get shots at the rim you're gonna have to play through contact and so you know the the players can get a little better like recognizing you know when they should back off but on the other hand as a coach you can't you know you can't be teaching them to try to avoid all contact in order to avoid shitty calls because you know you want them to be aggressive so it's a tough line for Florida State and I think the biggest problem is that you know, if you look at Florida State, we're rarely playing seven-footers, but we're also the tallest team in the, in the country. You know, and that's by minutes played, not just by averaging across the roster. You know, it's because we have an entire roster of guys who are like 6'6 six, six to 6'8. Six, and we also have very athletic guys, and refs are totally unable to deal with the size and athleticism, you know, the, of, of NBA players at this level. You know, we, we've seen it for years with, with – uh, you know, our seven footers are just too big to foul and, and too big to not commit fouls. And, and, you know, refs are, are, are really terrible handling this kind of thing. I don't know if you saw this a little, little left turn, but I don't know if you saw the Oklahoma West Virginia game yesterday, but this, this kid from Oklahoma is driving to the basket, gets punched, gets hit in the, in the nose um, and his head bounces back a little bit. And the ref calls him for a flop warning um, because, because he threw his head back and the, and the Oklahoma guy is standing right in front of the ref and blood is streaming down his face as the ref is telling him how, how it was a flop. You know, it's just, it's, it's really great, but, but, you know, so refs just cannot handle this kind of size and athleticism on the interior. And that's not going to change. I mean, there's only two games left and then, then the postseason. it kind of is what it is. You hope that that's maybe two charges a game and not, and not five or six, including two that were and ones. Um, but it's just something that we're going to have to going to have to live with. Well, it's certainly going to ha- like you said, it's not going to change. It's not going to change in the final two games. It's not going to change. My guess would be in the NCAA at all until they, they they did something with with how they're actually training and hiring and and cultivating referees. But it's still I, I don't know, man. It's it's a little scary. You're going up into a place that you know the the joy center can get rowdy i understand referees are human beings it's hard to not uh, uh you know get emotionally involved in a game when there's when there's fans and there's you know you're gonna have you know notre dame mike bray comes from the coach k system so he's gonna have his guys falling down on if you don't think he hasn't seen the tape of clemson getting five or six charges he is gonna have his guys ready to fall down when they are in defensive position or not in defensive position I, I still feel like there are some times, yes, Gray gets out of control. I think there's some times where we pass up open jumpers on the – we pass up open threes to drive it in that, that ends up resulting in a charge or a turnover. I, I just would like to see – I hear you on not – you can't 
coach aggressiveness away from the guys. That is, that would be the cardinal sin to do. Uh, we, we thrive because of our aggressiveness. And fortunately in the NCAA tournament, you don't often see just as many fouls called period. They, they try to let the players decide the outcome. So fortunately, you know, hopefully that's the case in Mar- uh, in the tournament, but I'd like to see sometimes us not, not shy away from pulling the trigger on the open, open uh, three, or maybe finding that extra pass that can give a guy a little bit of a different angle, a little bit better spacing on the fast break that won't, even put that in a position for it to be a 50 50 block charge call. Although I hear you on the fact that, you know, yeah, yesterday it felt like there were two that, that there were 75 25 and they, they were still called uh, a charge. So that, that's certainly frustrating. I, I, I kind of predicted a loss to Notre Dame before the Clemson game on the pod. Uh, I, I thought we were going to go one and one over this stretch. I don't know. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me we're not going to lose this Notre Dame game. <laughs> well, we're going to be favored. I don't think we're going to be favored by much, you know, to probably, probably be like two points. You know, this is, this is slightly more favorable than a coin flip in, in, in FSU's favor. I, you know, Coach Ham after the game yesterday said that um, it's a lot easier to get players to listen after a loss than it is after a win. So, you know, maybe, you know, the the recipe for Notre Dame beating Florida State is pretty much the same recipe that Clemson had. You know, you you want to win. Notre Dame's going to be trying to win those one on one battles, driving the ball, and they're doing it in order to kick out for threes. Um, and then if Florida State takes away the three, you know, Notre Dame's just their guy's got to beat our guy one on one at the rim. Um, it's the exact same thing Clemson was going to try and do, and it's uh, um, you know that's what Mike Bray is going to be doing, and so. You know, hopefully Ham is right and that, you know, the, the players are will be a little more um, focused on on executing the game plan. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other, you know, the other change is just having Patrick Williams back, who ironically is is the biggest um, offender in what you were just talking about of passing up open threes. I mean, that guy has it's like he's allergic to taking threes but he loves taking 19 foot jump shots he gets run off the line and instead of instead of just stepping over a foot you know he steps in a foot and ends up taking a long two instead of instead of an open three um, but he is back for this game and, and I and I think that's going to make um, a pretty good difference yeah I wonder if some of that is still it has to be he's just a freshman still learning his footwork and whatnot he, you know we we've seen the ridiculous amounts of potential and, and athletic ability that Patrick has and, and fairly decent, you know, skill set for a guy who is young for his class. However, you know, you come from high school, they didn't have the extended three point line. So, you know, stepping over or, you know, you could step over and that would be a, um, you know, still a three or even step up a little and, and here it's a bit extended. So I wonder sometimes if it's just his footwork or just not quite as comfortable with that little extra length on the shot yet, but, I, I would certainly prefer that he's back in the game than not. I'll throw out something else too that so we talked about Clemson. They had already some impressive scalps to their resume. Uh they, they had beaten Duke, they had beaten Louisville, right? They they were a team that had proven they can take down top level teams. Notre Dame, while they have lost close, uh they, they had a really tough but it was a close home loss to Louisville. They, they got blown out on the road by Duke, although playing Cameron certainly different. 
Uh, they had a, they had an overtime loss to Virginia, but they don't really have the same kind of uh, big big signature wins that Clemson has. They've got a lot. They've got 18 wins. They have more wins than Clemson, but you know their best win to date is probably uh, e- either a road game at Syracuse, which was by a point, or a road game, ironically enough, at Clemson uh, by four points. So you know there's something there that. That's not to say Notre Dame can't win the game. They absolutely can. This would be the first time all year that they've they've beaten a top, you know, thirty or forty team, which which would be you know different than than Clemson coming into it. So I, I don't know. I'll let you go ahead first with a prediction, and and then maybe I'll follow up. Yeah, their best win is that yeah the Syracuse game you mentioned. Syracuse is fifty seventh, and so they're let's see one two three four zero oh, and six against teams that are ranked in the top 55 um, at Ken Palm. Um, so, yeah, not a good record of, of, of beating good teams. I do think that uh, I'm, I'm not a believer in, in losses make you better, um, but I am, am a believer in that losses can get you focused, and those are two totally different things. And so it's uh, – if what Ham is, is hinting at is that the players maybe weren't as focused as he wanted them to be, uh, then that's that's a bit troubling, you know. Come come the very end of February, um, but you know it's more likely that he was just saying it, you know, in more general context. So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume the players were ready to go against Clemson, but uh, they're gonna have a, a little something extra in the tank against Notre Dame because uh, Trent's well rested. Um, as we mentioned, Patrick Williams is back for this game, and and I think I think Balsa had missed like four straight games before that Notre Dame game. So then, so, you know, so he's and and he was actually effective in that game. So he he could be a good thing. So I'm going to take Florida State in this game, and I and I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna, uh, you know, be in a struggle back and forth because Notre Dame hits a ton of threes. But down the stretch, I think we're going to be able to pull away, and and I'm going to take Florida State like 78 to 70. Okay, seventy-eight, seventy. Wow, that's that's uh, a little bit a bigger margin than perhaps I thought you were going to go with. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm in a tough spot here. I already predicted Florida State to go one and one on this on this trip between Clemson and, and Notre Dame, but I also predicted that one to come to Notre Dame. So whatever I say, I, I'm having to go back and change. Either now I'm predicting us to go zero and two, or or I'm now changing my pick over the over Notre Dame. I agree with you. I, I don't. I don't quite follow the whole like. Well, I'd rather lose a game because that'll help us be better. Like I, I don't ever. I don't think that. I mean, losing is a skill too, and it can start to become contagious. You can lose your confidence. I don't ever think that I want teams to go on a losing streak just so that they can then now focus up to win. And I certainly don't think that being a lower seed helps you helps you play better in March. So, I I do think that. It is – I don't – I feel like the guys came out focused too, and, and, and I'm with you. I don't – Ham's not usually like a speak to the players through the media kind of guy. So I don't – I think that was just Ham sort of just talking. But I, I do think that it is human nature that coming off a loss, you will, like you said, maybe be a little more focused or, or maybe even it's just that you – the reason why you lost is it took you a game to learn something, right? Learn in terms of the defense you're trying to implement against Clemson. It's a very similar, uh, like you said, style. So maybe you're just better at that thing the next game doing it. So 
I, I do think we might see something there. On the other hand, man, I don't think we're going to go 12 for 18 from three again, which is what we did in the first one point win. I mean, 12 for 18 from three. So that's concerning. I, I, it'd be very easy for me to see, to envision a scenario in which Notre Dame not only wins, but wins by six or seven points and, and sort of just, you know, we, we haven't traditionally played well up, up in South Bend. And so I, I could name you all kinds of scenarios of why Florida state would lose this game. I do think I'm going to stick with my original one and one projection on the Clemson Notre Dame back to back road trip. I'm, I'm not sure I'm confident enough to say who's the guy that's going to step up for Florida state. Maybe polite who's been shooting it. Well, has a big game. Maybe Walker goes off like he is capable of doing uh, some games. Maybe it's, it is, uh, is Williams who just, they don't have a match for, but I, I feel like we, somehow some way find a way to go one and one in this stretch and come back with a chance to to end senior uh in the season at home next weekend against Boston College on a two-game winning streak and with a chance to clinch at least a share of the ACC regular season uh I'll say maybe closer scoring than you let's say 76 to 74 Florida State so right on that like two point two point number uh, before we close out, there's a couple of other games of note that I know we'll be watching. One of them is already airing right now while this podcast is being recorded, and that's a Creighton, uh, Creighton game. Creighton has been the best team in the country over the last five or six weeks, so they, we're certainly competing with them for a two-seed. But, but looking both in the ACC and nationally, there, there's a Duke-North Carolina State game on Monday and Maryland-Rutgers on Tuesday. What, what are we hoping for in those games, Michael? Duke, we're always rooting against Duke. Um, I, I, I suppose that at this point in the season, people are going to get um, really creative and trying to figure out how to root for it because they want to avoid one particular team. Um, you know, in in the in the in the uh, in the ACC tournament, um, but we definitely want to be the one seed. I don't care who the four seed is because if you're the one seed, then you don't have to go through that two three game. Um, and then face the one seed. Um, so it's, it's, an, it's an easier path from the one seed regardless. So we want Duke to lose. We're also competing with them for um, a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, and then on uh, Tuesday, Maryland's kind of in that same boat. They lost yesterday, uh, but they, it was a quad 1A game. So it's not, you know, not going to kill their resume. Um, but they do go on the road on Tuesday to to uh, to face Rutgers, who is actually not terrible. Um, and then on when, while our game is playing, Dayton is playing basically the one game they have a chance to lose, which is on the road at Rhode Island, who's a decent team. Um, and Dayton is is ahead of us. They're they're competing with San Diego State for that last one seed. Um, so we definitely want them uh, to drop that game. And then and then if you're listening on on Sunday, uh, Louisville also plays this afternoon. Virginia Tech stinks, so they're not going to beat them. But you never know. So we Virginia Tech could hit a thousand threes, and and so, you know something good could happen. Yeah, no, I, you know, you're right. They could hit a bunch of threes. Uh, NC State feels like they could beat Duke. They typically play well against Duke. So that I know that game, it's in Cameron, right? Um, but, you know, I wouldn't – listen, Duke, Duke's Trey Jones, Vernon Carey, and then a bunch of guys that may or may not show up that night. So I definitely think that NC State could, could beat Duke. And 
And yeah, Maryland's got a very losable game at Rutgers, who Rutgers themselves is hoping to clinch, you know, some, they're going to be in the tournament for the first time in a while. And they've done pretty, they're, they're kind of in that two, three seed looking for the big 10 tournament. So they've got a lot to play for themselves. Uh, All right. That's going to do it for us. We'll, we'll be back probably after the Notre Dame game. Hopefully, hopefully uh, that is a win. And, and from that, we will, we'll see you next time. Thank you.